episode 195 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. So on this episode of the show, we're going to discuss open source design, uh, which is being put to work on some pretty important tasks. I think this is a really uh, underreported, underdiscussed uh, story just about how uh, being able to share designs across borders, across um, the world, really, and uh, uh, sort of up-level the ability to to generate all kinds of uh, uh, products, whether they're uh, digital or or physical products, uh, it's just really a point of leverage that 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 has come out of you know the knowledge economy, and that is going to be really powerful um, piece of technology going forward. So uh, let's dig into some of these these instances of open source design uh, for for good works. So I saw that just recently IKEA has a a uh, an arm that that explores open source design and is really looking to uh, spread open source design uh, across uh, various industries. So uh, they're they're working on something they call the Garden Sphere, which is an urban agriculture project, and we've talked about urban agriculture uh, a number of times on on the podcast. This particular project uh, enables people to download the designs for, you know, what amounts to uh, uh, this giant uh, uh, sphere made out of wood that you can uh, more or less grow uh, you know all kinds of vegetables within this in this sphere, and supposedly, uh, at least according to the uh, the PR for this project, you can you can feed your whole neighborhood with with uh, fresh produce from this uh, this sphere that uh, uh, the folks at one of IKEA Labs has you know created this, and you can download the designs for free, and it's a CNC process for cutting the um, uh, the plywood pieces that you assemble, and uh, you know that that provides you with this um, this object that you then use for your urban farming. So, so that's one example uh, that got me excited this week. Uh, of course, there are uh, many examples of this kind of design being offered for free uh, in an open source context. There's open source home building. Uh, Dirk, I, I don't know if you've heard of this uh, this project before called Open Source Ecology. Uh, you can find them at opensourceecology.org, and and they're all about creating a modular system for inexpensive home building uh, that people can sort of do themselves. You know, if they follow these these plans that that come with the kit, and uh, they even give you plans for creating. The uh, the tools for um, for uh, construction of the home, so not just the modularity of the house, uh, but also open source tool sets. Like I think there's an open source uh, backhoe design, so you can go and create your own construction equipment. Um, uh, so another great example there, and and my final example of some some cool open source design. Uh, for good works, uh, there's 
there's uh, a 3D design contest for medical tools um, in uh, in Africa, and uh, we'll include the link in in the transcript for the podcast. But uh, the basic idea is that you're going to be 3D printing some basic uh, medical tools for. Uh, communities in Africa that may not have easy access to these particular tools. And this is sort of an open call to do that. Um, I'm finding this use of technology so uh, sort of, um, you know, you have these fantastic resources, but then you're uh, applying them locally. You're giving local people uh, the, the designs uh, so they can do things on their own, build things on their own. I'm I'm finding this, you know, to be a pretty amazing story, and and I think something that's going to be built on and uh, is really going to improve people's lives. Um, Dirk, when when you've heard about these stories, you know, what's what's your take on it? Um, how do you see open source design uh, playing a role uh, in all of these things? Well, you covered a lot of ground. I did. Lot. I did. <laughs> I kept um, going. I couldn't stop. Yeah, I'm not sure where to snipe into it. Um, you know, the open source build your own house, um, it sounds great in theory. I don't really understand it in practice. Um, uh, obviously, to build a home, you're going to have to have a large number of pieces printed. You're going to have to have large pieces printed. And so there's a, a supply chain question about how you get from Blueprint. Like, I can understand Blueprint, and I can understand... Um, DIY. I can't understand where all these many, 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 many big, 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 big pieces um, of material come from. Um, so some of this feels very Pollyanna-ish to me. Like at the at the fringes, sure, I'm, I'm sure it's useful, but in reality, you know, not not so much. So is it more of like a futurist um, concept, you know, and then you know, you're able to do proof of concept at limited scale? I mean. I'm not sure. You know, the the um, 3D printing of like uh, medical tools, I mean, that starts to get really interesting, um, particularly when you're talking about smaller things, because then you can there's a there's a straight path. I mean, it's I, I know that there's devices that can be bought for hundreds of dollars that can be filled for for also small amounts of money that can can print things that are at a scale comparable with small handheld medical devices. Now, uh, are those particular models um, of machine, do they provide the sort of tolerance um, and precision necessary to create a medical device that won't do more harm than good? I, I'm not sure. Um, that's a whole other question, one of resolution and, and precision. Um, but, but it all sounds nice. Um, you know, open source, open source, the open source movement is, is fascinating because it's, um, it's it's one that it's it's strictly better. Open source is strictly better than hoarding information from the standpoint of accelerating innovation, um, from the standpoint of making people's lives easier, allowing collaboration and and sort of riffing off each other's work. And that's that's great. Um, what's less clear is the impact it has um, in in sort of our capitalist financial model. So. If you talk about artificial intelligence and robots, for example, um, you know those are going to be taking away jobs. Those are going to be disrupting in in the capitalist system. However, they're also going to be rewarding the people who deploy them. So 
the rich owners deploy the robots, the robots take the jobs of the poorer um, frontline workers, and and it, it at least makes sense in in the crazy broken system that that we have of of greed. Um, open source is less clear because you you really are when when you go into open source you are um, you're, you're you're giving up competitive advantage. You are um, uh, you know you are accelerating sort of the the group the mass, but you are not necessarily benefiting your own financial interests. Um, and yet, similar to robots and AI, you are inevitably um, taking jobs from people. I mean, you you are, there's, there's tasks that people would have to spend time on otherwise that they no longer will have to spend time on because of the, um, because of the proliferation of open source resources. So uh, for me, open source is like this utopian thing that uh, you know, if we culturally didn't believe in this, this, you know, capitalist beast, um, would, would, it's like, duh, of course it makes sense. But in the context of capitalism, it's a little head scratching. I'm, I'm happy for it as an anti-capitalist, but, um, I'm, I'm skeptical of it, um, in terms of its role in the system that we live in. Yeah, there's, uh, so, so a lot of interesting things there that that you just said. I, I think to uh, talk about open source as uh, an accelerant, at, le at least from from my perspective, as as something that provides uh, the underpinnings for uh, for work that you you know provides leverage for for the kind of uh, more advanced work. Um, you know that you might not be able to do otherwise. So, for example, if if you're creating a um, I don't know, say you're creating a new IoT device and 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 you need um, a casing for it and you need a you know certain circuit patterns or uh, circuit board patterns or or what have you, and you can you can get those open source from the community. Uh, that that gives you a lot more leverage as a uh, individual or as a startup that has this idea that, you know, yep. you know, bringing it to reality and you wouldn't be able to do that work otherwise because you just don't have the resources. So, um, it gives you knowledge resources, um, in abundance and, and sort of accelerates that, that process. Now, uh, I take your point, you know, there's, there's probably a chipboard designer and, uh, and a, uh, industrial designer who could get work from you but um if you don't have those resources to to begin with you know um i'm i'm not sure if that's uh um you know if that's too much to their their detriment um well no i mean i i know you know from from working on on Fossio, the the human personality startup um that we did a, a number of years ago now I, I know that there's a straight line between available open source code and jobs where um, where the, the head of engineering, th there were two parts to this. Number one is he would frequently say, oh yeah, I was able to shortcut that because I just grabbed this open source framework and I'm, I'm building on top of it. And when we're talking about staffing and scaling, literally the words of, um, you know, now it's so easy to do those things with open source. I don't think we need that type of engineer. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, in, on the software side as well. I mean, I think there's a, a straight line to the availability of open source and 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 potential jobs there. Yeah, I, I mean, at the same time, all you know, the group of you who did Fascio were able to bring it that much farther along because you had those 
you know, monetary resources to keep going that might have yeah, been. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we benefit, but who pays, right? Mm -hmm. That's the interesting, difficult uh, question. I, I think the pie just gets bigger. So, so I think, you know, uh, maybe your engineering team could have been solving problems that uh, you know, uh, sort of more basic problems or hiring somebody to do those more basic problems. But instead, you got accelerated by that code. The code, you know, pushed you along farther into the development process. So um, with an equal number of resources, you wouldn't have been able to solve the same amount of problems that you did um, sure. with that startup. So uh, something else I wanted to um, uh, touch on, just uh, sort of based on your response to uh, some of that open source building from uh, opensourceecology.org, I think uh, some of their um, uh, material sourcing, you know, you were asking like, hey, where do, you, where do you get all this stuff to build with? And is it just really sort of a utopian uh, proof of concept, right? Um, w one of the things I found interesting, they actually had a... Um, uh, sort of a, a brick press, right? So you can actually be going and, and building your own bricks from whatever locally sourced uh, materials or, you know, creating uh, concrete forms from, from locally sourced materials. So um, I think there's, um, you know, I, I take your point that not everybody is going to be a DIY kind of focused builder. I don't see myself going and creating an open source house from scratch. Um, but I would see the possibility of, you know, working with a builder and providing them with these blueprints, right? And saying, hey, if you can get some of these materials to go build me a, you know, a barn or a garage or whatever, um, I, I could see doing some of that. And, and I think the intersection between sort of this DIY maker movement um, and, and open source is really powerful because... Um, I, I, I think as much as we talk about, um, you know, having global supply chains, there's, there's also going to be a growing need for doing things locally. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think this just gives us so much technological power, uh, to get things done locally, uh, in a way that's very sophisticated, um, you know, might be more eco-friendly, um, and, and could be the way that, um, manufacturing and construction uh, moves forward, uh, you know, into the into the uh, 21st century. I, I I think that that we're so used to thinking about you know the uh, you know we're talking about bringing jobs back to America now. That's everybody on everybody's mind. What if those jobs aren't in big factories? What what if they're more like maker movement type jobs, like constructing? things locally I, I i think if we you know reframe the way we think about some of these some of these jobs i i, I bet you there's a lot of work to be done um that's that's a little bit more specific a little bit more specialized and a little bit more local um that doesn't necessarily need a big corporation to go and do it so so i see all these pieces coming together i don't know how how they all fit but i'd say maker movement local building open source um sort of more community-based thinking um i i think these are all uh really great points of leverage and and are going to provide jobs in the future yeah i certainly think there are trends that way and i mean as we look ahead to uh you know, some some form of global warming dystopia. Um, 
shifting to local, more local and less global is going to be a, a byproduct of that. So certainly these things are, are in line with that notion of using technology um, <clears throat> to create frameworks and structure and then having local uh, implementations. Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly it. We we had a we had a show um, uh, at the beginning of the year where we were talking about trends for 2017, and and one of those that that we discussed was uh, sort of the desktop manufacturing movement, right? I, I think you'll remember, uh, you know, we we talked about a um, a, a form molding machine um, that. Uh, or sorry, a, 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 a vacuum molding uh, machine that uh, you you could basically have that technology on your desktop, so you could vacuum uh, vacuum form something uh, and and create something from a three D object and and more or less uh, use you know use a substrate and create this um, uh, you know widget or whatever and and do a one off. Uh, where, where in the past you'd have to have a whole machine shop <laughs> to go and do this, yeah. you can now do this at your desktop, um, and that's just one sort of powerful desktop technology uh, that's coming. Uh, and 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 I recall in our our discussion, you know, I was really sort of over the top excited about this because now you've got these manufacturing tools that have been. Uh, you know, made into a laptop, right? It's the laptopization of manufacturing tools. Um, so I, I, as I see these things come together, I get I get excited about it, and I think I think um, uh, you know the the future of work and and open source is going to be uh, a little bit more interesting and a little bit more uh, um, adventurous than than we think. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of socioeconomic questions sort of nestled in here as well. I mean, the 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 sort of um, construction that we're talking about, particularly on someone's home, if if the model is a redeployment of people who used to work in factories and corporations into the the creation of homes um, at a local level, basically, there's an intimacy to that. You know, if if I'm bringing the DIY plans and I'm working with the builder and there's all of these, um, there's all of these, um, sort of lower, lower income folks who are, um, have more of a history and an experience and a skill of doing this kind of work. Um, you know, that's, that's, a that's not necessarily a natural fit. You know, I mean, how, how well would you and I fit into construction sites? You know, if we go and hang out with the people who are there, um, we probably stick out a little bit as the goofy, the goofy of course. guys, you know? Um, so, you know, there, there is, as, as we sort of bring together the people who've been sitting in the offices and the people who've been, you know, toiling in the, the factories to, to, you know, sort of take the most extreme manifestation of these two things, um, and bringing us together in, in a shared, uh, workspace in terms of how our culture is situated now. And in terms of how these different types of people, relate to each other as, um, as really you can see in recent politics and reaction to the, the presidential campaign. I mean, that's a whole other layer that, that we're not even talking about, but I think, um, I think is an extraordinary one that would have impacts that we, we can't even, um, predict at the moment. Yeah. I, you know, um, from, from that perspective, I, I, I think there's a whole show there, right. Um, 
Um, but, but I do think when you're working face to face with people, it's, it's a lot, um, it's a lot easier to be civil to one another when, when you have to, uh, show up at the same work site together. Uh, I think some of that might actually be, be good for everybody. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D-Niemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 195 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time.